Michiana's sports leader, 96.1 FM WSBT presents the Irish Illustrated Hour. Featuring the writers from irishillustrated.com, Tim Priester, and Pete Sampson. Plus, WSBT Radio's Sean Styers. It's time to talk Notre Dame athletics on the Irish Illustrated Hour. And we do. We roll right into the 7 o'clock hour, and we welcome you to a new show here on WSBT, as you just heard, the Irish Illustrated Hour. I'm Sean Styers, and if you're a Notre Dame fan, I'm sure you've heard these two guys, Pete Sampson, Tim Priester. If you were listening to the last part of Sports Beat, you heard them there as well. They've covered Notre Dame for, for a long time, and we'll be bringing you the Irish Illustrated Hour for the next three Mondays, and then... Three Wednesdays after that, April 5th, 12th, and 26th, as Notre Dame football makes its way through spring practice. But Pete and Tim, great to have you guys. Thanks, thanks for, Sean. Uh, yeah, thanks for having us. And, uh, well, not just thanks for having us. I mean, <laughs> it's the Irish well, Illustrated Hour. Uh, I mean, Irish come on, right? Our paths cross, cross again, Sean. That's right. It, it, it never ends. Tim and I, we did... Radio, what seems like a lifetime ago, it was a long time together, ago. but back on the air with Tim and on the air for the first time with Pete. We'll be talking a lot of football, obviously, but let's start off with some basketball. The news of the day, of course, is the unveiling of the bracket yesterday. Notre Dame, a five seed, and they'll be facing the 12th seeded Princeton Tigers in the West region this Thursday at 12:15. So let's start off with that. Just your thoughts. On the seed, you know, I, I know people love to parse seeding, and I get that Florida State as a three didn't make a whole lot of sense to a lot of people, myself included, and Minnesota as a five didn't make much sense to me. But I thought Notre Dame as a five looked fine. Could they have been a four? Yeah, but uh, it's one of those things where I think a week from now, and certainly a year from now, how many people are talking about what seed Notre Dame was last year? Or two years ago. That's what I mean. When you I don't even remember. It, that's what Darren was talking about them being a three seed a couple of years ago, and I didn't even think about them as a three seed. The, the, the bottom line is, it's a tournament. Everyone has a chance. They ended up going to the elite eight, regardless of what seed it, they were. It, we won't talk about it in, unless they lose the first game and lose right. the dreaded twelve. But I mean, after the first game, it really won't matter. I thought when they made the run in the ACC tournament that warranted a four. I never believed that they were going to be a three without actually winning the tournament. There was a lot of speculation about that. But mm-hmm. I don't put a lot of credence in, in, in it. I don't think it's that important. I, four and five especially is not important because if you're the five, if you're the four and five, you play each other in game two anyway. Right. It, you know, the other five seeds were Minnesota, Virginia, and Iowa State. Is Notre Dame better than, than Minnesota? Do they deserve a higher seeding? You know, probably. But... We, we tend to look at, you know, the one individual school that we're analyzing. We don't take into account all the other things. Exactly. I think there's way too much uh, placed on this. Bottom line is you have an opportunity to beat Princeton, advance to the second game. You're you're probably not going to get the break that you got last year where West Virginia was, um, you know, upset by Stephen F. Austin. So you have to play them and beat them. And then you have Gonzaga uh, potentially for game three, and that's better than a Kansas or, you know, a Villanova or Kentucky or someone along those lines. Exactly. Of the number one seeds, I think everyone would much rather have Gonzaga sitting there than than the other. Right. Now, as I said in the previous segment, Gonzaga has beaten Florida, Iowa State, Arizona, Washington, Tennessee. (laughs) They're still a number one seed for a reason. Yeah. Well, Mike Bray talked last night after the announcement of the NCAA tournament field. So let's hear what he had to say. 
thrilled to be back in this thing again and we're kind of making it an annual event which is uh what you want your program to be doing um we will head to buffalo i told the guys i said you know the princeton offense is all through college basketball and the nba i said now you finally get to guard the princeton offense run by princeton um you know we've uh but i said uh you're also the best defensive team I had, uh, and they got to guard us. So uh, again, we're we're thrilled. I erase seed lines, all that stuff. We erase all that. We got our little mini bracket as we talked about before down there with West Virginia and uh, um, talk now. You can tell I'm focused on Princeton, <laughs> uh, West Virginia. <laughs> I'm definitely. We are hanging on for dear life. We need some rest. Um, but we're thrilled to be in it, thrilled to be back part of it, and hopefully can go through San Jose. Yeah, it's like you, you hear the matter-of-factness in the way Bray describes the tournament. It's it's nice to hear. I mean, you, Sean, you mentioned how long we've been covering Notre Dame. My first year was 2001, and Notre, <laughs> and Notre Dame at that point was Northwestern. That's true. You know, they hadn't made it in 10 years, uh, so to get into it, this is, I think, seven of eight years and again, we spent so much time on seeding. I thought what was more interesting to me, or more relevant to Notre Dame at least, was the fact that you hear how fatigued he is while they have to play the first game of the tournament. Believe me, he, we, everybody that participated in it, these guys were laughing at me today. I, I'm running on fumes just from being a part of that, um, you know, tournament with the with the night games. But clearly, I, that's where Bray is talking to the players afterwards. They're they're just worn out, but. They're young. They'll bounce back here mm-hmm. quickly. And he, he's being real smart about today and tomorrow. They're going to ease into this. And they'll be ready to go Thursday. Well, Tim, you, you talked about being out there and covering those games. And they had the last game of the night, three nights in a row. But you were out there. And Darren and I were talking a little bit about this last week. Just the ACC tournament being in Brooklyn this year. It's off Tobacco Road. And not even in Washington, D.C., a little bit closer. What? Just... just the whole thing from from turnout, fan support. You know when Duke shows up or Carolina, there's going to be a lot of fans. What what was it like for the most part? Yeah, out well, there? first of all, the Barclays Center is a great facility. That's where Notre Dame, you know, played the first and second round last year, and it's a, it's a great facility. As far as you know, like Tobacco Road fans traveling, they North Carolina fans travel wherever. Mm-hmm. They actually travel better, you know, better than Duke does, but. You know, so it's a really nice facility, and everybody loves to go to go to New York. I prefer Greensboro because, to me, that's more traditional ACC, you know, obviously ACC country. And, and to me, that feels more like where the ACC tournament should be. But it'll be in Brooklyn next year. Um, I'm not really sure. Do you do you know, Pete, where it goes after that? But I know it's going to be in Brooklyn next year, and I'm sure it will it'll work its way back to Tobacco Road. So, well, yeah, and the, the whole Jim Beheim comments that's what got us <laughs> <laughs> talking about it. Be, be, it the, he thought that it needed to be in one of the media centers. I I still th- I I don't know that that New York necessarily makes sense for the ACC, but there are a lot of Atlanta was a place that he mentioned. There there are bigger markets that are more in the traditional ACC footprint that I think would make more sense. And I, I guess it's if it was the 80s, then I would really subscribe to that. But everyone has ESPN, and everyone <laughs> can watch this online. It, so it's not a situation where you need to be in a, a central location to get media to show up and certainly right. not to get people to watch it. But it, you know, as far as Notre Dame's performance, I mean, Tim, you were there, and I think it really came through on TV. That was... 
Those were probably five of the six halves they played. Five of them were excellent, and it was some of the best basketball Notre Dame had played all year. And it it really is counter to maybe some of the earlier Bray teams where you saw them really limp into the postseason. It's it's amazing to me that in Bray's first fourteen years he was sixteen and twenty three in postseason play. That's Big East slash ACC and NCAA tournament. 12-4 and four in the last three years. And the four teams that have put Notre Dame out of the postseason, Kentucky, North Carolina, North Carolina, and Duke. So they are going up and playing very, very well against elite competition now. And it's that whole loosest coach in America thing. I think Bray's, <laughs> Bray is living it now, and you're seeing it in the way that they play. He really is. And he, he mentioned last night that early in his coaching career at Notre Dame, he was too uptight, and his team played like it. So he's pulled back, and, and like Pete said, 12-4, and 6-2 and two in the ACC tournament, 6-2 and two in the NCAA tournament. And... They played, you know, 120 minutes of basketball. It, they played great basketball for 105 or 110 minutes of that. They they completely took Virginia out of their game. Virginia is not the same Virginia without Malcolm Brogdon and, and Anthony Gill. They're not as good offensively. Mm-hmm. But Bray incorporated a 1-2-2 defense. It, it took them out of their game. They used a little bit of that against Florida State. Florida State was was flustered from the outset. They cut it down because they're a very talented offensive team. But that 1-2-2 kept um, Jonathan Isaac out of the middle. He only shot two for seven. And it was a great game plan. They had Duke on the ropes and just ran out of gas. Number one, ran out of gas a little bit. And number two, Duke became Duke again, like they usually are. Yeah, and I would just say, like, when you're looking at Notre Dame in March now, don't take for granted the success that they're having right now. And if you've been following Notre Dame basketball for more than three years, you won't. But remember last year, they're down 12 at halftime to Michigan. Remember when they needed a block from Pat Connaughton to force overtime against Butler. Northeastern gave them a game when they were a three seed. And then the breaks that they got, the Stephen F. Austin upset of West Virginia last year was big. Two years ago was Wichita State beating Kansas in the second round. That opened up the bracket for Notre Dame to make it to the Elite Eight when ultimately they lost to Kentucky. So it's they've had some good fortune in the bracket. There's no way that you can get around that. But I think most importantly is just the attitude of this team. You saw Notre Dame limp into the tournament so many times in the first decade and a half of under Mike Bray, and now they, they come in fresh. They may be tired, but they certainly are going to be loose. They are entering games with a go-for-it attitude. Mm-hmm. And and for many years, we saw the, the, the trepidation and, and stepping lightly as NCAA tournament games began. They're not playing that way anymore. Well, and even what three years ago now, the first year in the ACC, granted now that the... The composition of this team and the last couple teams is a lot different. There are no Garrick Shermans still around. I mean, it's it's a lot different. But weren't you pretty concerned with that transition into the ACC when you saw the, the, that first season? And then it's it's night and day different where they are right now compared to just three years ago. No question. I mean, I, I mentioned sort of the four teams that have put them out, Kentucky, North Carolina, North Carolina, and Duke. Well, the four teams previous were Wake Forest, <laughs> Iowa State, Louisville, and Xavier. Yeah. Um, I mean, even when Notre Dame was making the NCAA tournament, they got crushed by Iowa State and then laid an egg against Xavier late in that game. When then that was Jaron Grant's early in his career before he was Jaron Grant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that the first year where they lost to Wake Forest in the first game of the ACC tournament, it looked like 
you wondered if they were going to fit in, if they were going to be a misfit in the league and for them to take it by storm. I mean, going into Saturday night, if Notre Dame had beaten Duke, they would have had as many ACC titles as Virginia. Total. Virginia has been Ever. playing in that, in that conference <laughs> tournament since the 50s. So that, I mean... The statement that they have made in four years in this league, especially considering the first impression that they had, is really remarkable. Bray's doing an incredible job. I, I think there was an adjustment period going from the Big East to the ACC. It's it, you know the Big East was a was a beat 'em up conference. Um, I think Notre Dame was just lacking in experience and just where they need. It, I think it had more to do with they weren't a very good basketball team uh, that year. They lost Jaron Grant. That was. That was so significant. It was devastating for Bray and and the whole team, and they never really uh, recovered from that. But the way they're playing basketball now, I mean, just the, just the aggressiveness and the attitude and the confidence, and it's fueled by, you know, I mean, it's really fueled by two juniors as much as as anyone, and yeah. Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell, just in terms of of attitude and their approach. Steve Astori, a more reserved player, a guy that does a lot of things well that go unnoticed. VJ Beecham, obviously a quality shooter. And Rex Fluger, I, you can see now being around this team that Rex Fluger is emerging as a, a very confident leader-type guy within the program. Sean Styers, Tim Priester, Pete Sampson, Irish Illustrated Hour, just about 719 on Michiana Sports Leader, 96.1 FM WSBT. Let me ask you this, though. Are we, are we past the point, fans are, fans are fans, and they're always going to have their opinions one way or another. After two straight Elite Eight trips, are we past the point now where if, if the Irish do stumble in the second round or even the sweet 16 are, are we past the point where where we're, we're, we're all ready they're well, I, not we they're all ready to show mike bray the door once again i would hope so i mean i think bray <laughs> has house money on top of house money on top of house money right now I mean, yeah. he's got the the credibility that he's built up over the last two plus years, and that's not just NCAA tournaments, the ACC tournament championship from a couple years ago, the game at Duke. I mean, they are a compelling product. They play well in the postseason. Only team in the country that's gone to back to back elite eights. It's to me, he had he's gotten people off his back, and they wouldn't have a map to get back on it if they lost even to Princeton on Thursday. But there's going to be the house money that you're talking about. There's going to be a money drain if he yeah. loses. To Princeton. <laughs> well, I mean, his his uh, his booty there yeah. is, go, is going exactly. to, uh, is going to shrink among fans because I mean that's just a game that they should win. If they they win that game and you lose to West Virginia, there's no shame in losing to West Virginia. I mean, certainly they're they're going to come at you in waves. They're going to press you the whole game. Yep. They're going to play double digit players. It's a, it's a tough matchup. I'm sure Notre, if Notre Dame were to lose to West Virginia, I, I'm sure they would play well and just lose a close game. Well, and Pete's talked about it a couple of times, about how the breaks went their way in tournaments past. There's no saying, nothing that says it's not going to, but the tournament is still what it is. It's all about the matchup that is presented to you. Nobody wants to be the, the five seed because of the history of the five twelve matchup. And just what you said right there, that the, the, the thought of, West Virginia 
in the second round. Uh, that is that is not a matchup I would want at all if I were Mike Bray or any coach in the second yeah, round. Yeah, because I mean, what do you really what do you want to be less than the five seed that gets beat by the twelve seed, the three seed that gets beat by the fourteen seed, and that's what <laughs> happened to West Virginia last year. So mm-hmm. you would expect a very focused, dialed in. West Virginia team if, if you get past Princeton on Thursday when you you know get into Saturday. But I look, at the beginning of the year we've talked about this, we've written about this on our website. Making the tournament was going to be almost a barometer for success for this team. We thought, you know, an eight nine seed type of team, uh, for them to be pushing a four seed, playing for the ACC championship on Saturday night against Duke, getting the double bye. Uh, Bonzi Colson, a should have been ACC Player of the Year. Matt Farrell, arguably the most improved player in the league. Um, you know, look, I, if I had the tweet ready to go, if they had beaten Duke, I was going to send Josh Pastner the address for the Joy Center, and he could just ship Coach of the Year up here because <laughs> I I think Bray has done an incredible job. And I mean, throughout this year of Bray's seventeen seasons, at some point, how many of them have we described? Well, this might be Bray's best coaching job. More than half of them. It's happening a lot. Uh, You know, speaking of Josh Pastner, you know, Georgia Tech went 8 and 10 this year and they went 8 and 10 last year and he got got coach of the year. To me, how did Leonard Hamilton not get to coach of the year? He finished fourth in the voting. They haven't been in the NCAA tournament for five years and they they finished, they were the two seed in the ACC tournament. I understand that, but there's a lot of talent on that Florida State. There is, but he recruited it. And and they're, right. and they're mainly so. Don't hold it against him because no, he got yeah, it exactly. I mean, that's part of it. And they're mainly young. I, yeah, there is a but a ton of talent. But they were under five hundred last year. I wasn't on the ACC calls every week. Tom Noy has has told us that Josh Pastner, either directly or indirectly, seemed to do a lot of lobbying throughout the There's season, no reminding people of of how great a coaching job he was doing. Well, you guys know when the last time Mike Shashevsky won ACC Coach of the Year, right? <laughs> it was before I started covering Notre Dame, <laughs> two thousand. That's a, but but think about that as a voter. That's a hard vote to make. I mean, Roy William Roy Williams finished second. Right. It's all relative. Exactly. It, it really is. That's a. I was part of a, a NIC baseball conference where Penn won the conference every year. Greg Dykus could. I mean, you could give him the the award every year, and he probably got it half the time that I was coaching, and rightfully so. But sure. it's a tough vote when a guy, a guy's program is at the top every year. Yeah. 7.23, we're going to switch it up and talk some football coming up next. The Fighting Irish have undergone a lot of changes over the past couple of months, and some of the biggest changes have come in the weight room. You're going to hear from Captains Mike McGlinchey and Greer Martini and hear what they have to say about that when the Irish Illustrated Hour continues next on Michiana Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. This is the Irish Illustrated Hour on Michiana's Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. Featuring the writers from irishillustrated.com, Tim Priester and Pete Sampson. Plus WSBT Radio's Sean Styers. 729 on this Monday night. I'm Sean Steyers and Tim Priester and Pete Sampson from Irish Illustrated with us as the Irish Illustrated Hour continues here tonight. It's it's football time. We talked a little basketball 
to start things off. And there's been an overhaul in the strength and conditioning department at Notre Dame. Matt Bayless is now running the show, and not just running the show, but it's he's got a uh, it's got a different name as well. He's the director of football performance now. It's not just strength and conditioning. So um, a lot different than when Paul Longo was in charge and. And uh, some of the Notre Dame players were available last week. And let's start off with Mike McGlinchey, the Irish left tackle, talking about the impact that Bayless has had. Uh, built by Bayless, I guess you could say. Um, uh, Coach Bayless has been a, a blessing on our program, and he has done things for me and everybody else in our program. Um, the way that we're training, how we're training, and everything that, we, that encompasses performance. He, he, the, the detail that he takes and the pride that he takes in doing his job and affecting all areas of our football team uh, is something tremendous. And I, I mean, the last couple of weeks I've, I've put on probably 8 to 10 pounds and obviously done pretty well in, in my strength numbers and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's all attributed to him and the way that he has us work and prepare. And um, obviously we have to do the work, but he's, he's the guy leading us to the, to the oasis there. It's amazing, guys, just to, to to hear some of these guys like McGlinchey, and we'll hear from Greer Martini here in a few minutes as well, but just just in the short am- amount of time, the kind of strides they've already made. Yeah, there's no question about it, and it was kind of one of those things. I'm always a little bit, I have a professional skepticism of the new regime. <laughs> right. And like, okay, well, everything's going to be bigger, and everything's going to be stronger, everything's going to be faster, so... What I did to sort of research this is to did a deep dive with guys who played and worked out with him at Mississippi State. And these guys have no reason to talk to me, and they're calling me on Friday night to talk to me for an hour about how great Matt Bayless was. <laughs> and that to me, that was the stuff that really sold me on the change because they're talking about how Bayless basically pushed them to the edge and beyond and so when you hear it from a Notre Dame football player now, you can sort of believe it because it's happened somewhere else. And you've you've seen guys, especially at Mississippi State, I mean, we were talking about Mike Elko, the defense coordinator, how he's sort of done more with less. Well, I think Matt Bayless has, has trained more with less at Mississippi State. Notre Dame has more material to work with than he did down there. So it's um, that's the stuff that really sold me on him. Um, the interview with him, he sounds like a strength coach. And if he wasn't... <laughs> He'd be a Marine drill sergeant. I mean, that, yes. those are the two things he was born to do. That's but, what he uh, sounded yeah. like when he was out at that practice last oh, yeah. week, early in the morning. I mean, he had the gravel in his throat, oh, yeah. and he, he did everything but bark cadences out uh, there. He <laughs> he reminds me of Mickey Marotti, who mm-hmm. uh, wor- worked with him. But Mickey Marotti was in Notre Dame. When, when I first heard Matt Bayless, I, I thought he sounded an awful lot like him. Look, yes, we have to be skeptical. And the reason is because when Paul Longo came in, he was hailed as the guy that was the the reason why Cincinnati was so great in the fourth quarter. And I think, you know, Nordame started out that way after Brian Kelly came, but it's shifted. And a lot of that has been injuries have been significant in the, in November for Notre Dame. So, um, you know, you start losing, you start having injuries, you start having fourth quarter collapses, and then the players Really, when they were surveyed by Brian Kelly during the offseason, they basically said, we need somebody better than this. Yeah, that, that that said a lot to me, too, that, one, Brian Kelly listened to his players come in and say, basically, like, I know Paul Longo is one of your, your best friends, you know, your, your most trusted confidants in your coaching career that's helped get you here to this meeting room where I'm sitting with you right now. 
but we think we need something different. And for I thought Brian Kelly, for him to respect that and, and take that in and, and act on it, said a lot. Now, I mean, we've sort of heard from our sources, and this was reported, you know, that Notre Dame review, or interviewed multiple strength and conditioning coaches. Matt Bayless maybe necessarily wasn't the first one on that list. Aaron Wellman was a guy here from the area, local, is now with the New York Giants that uh, we believe was sort of their number one target. But I think that they got a great one in Matt Bayless based on, you know, the Mississippi State experience, but also that those Urban Meyer connections where you you said Mickey Mirati at Notre Dame. Mickey Mirati left here to sort of get back with Urban Meyer at Ohio State with Florida, and um, Matt Bayless has sort of picked up how that all works, what works, how to push guys how to drill guys, and I think Notre Dame's going to benefit from that. I know there are a lot of Notre Dame fans that have bad feelings about Urban Meyer because <laughs> he, he spurned them, but anybody that Urban Meyer endorses, like Matt Bayless, I think that's a pretty good choice for Notre Dame. Good point. How about Greer Martini, one of the other captains on the team? He has some thoughts as well about the uh, switchover in the weight room. So much more intense. Yeah. These eight weeks have been, you know, like our first workout at the end of the year was harder than any hard workout we went through my three years here. So that just sets the tone. That's, that's just unbelievable. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe when Greer Martini said that. I mean, he's an honest, forthright guy. And maybe he's embellishing a little bit. I don't, you know, I'm not going to ask him to go back and track the intensity levels of every single workout he did. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the fact that Matt Bayless made that kind of first impression tells you how good he can be and also how much of a change was needed in that department. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I was just, I guess I was just taken aback when, when you started to hear these stories about all of a sudden they're not working that hard and, and they were essentially setting up their own schedules and guys not yeah, showing up. showing up for and that's, I, I mean, I, how is that even possible? And that's what I couldn't believe, and especially when you think back to when Kelly and Longo did come here because... The, the previous regime struggled in late October and November, and supposedly Paul Longo was a, a, a big part of why all of a sudden they had more success late in the season because of the kind of program that he had. And so then to, to hear all this, I was, I was just struck by it. I think that it speaks to things getting stale here, and I asked Brian Kelly this this offseason. I said, how much of the, all these changes are a change of message, and how much is a change of messenger? And I think that Notre Dame needed both. They needed somebody to make the players uncomfortable. And it, it, based on the player reaction, it sounds like they wanted to be taken outside their comfort zone because they know that's not working. So I, I think that having a different message and a different messenger, those two things build on each other. And I think that you'll see that during spring practice as the install goes on with Mike Elko and Chip Long. But certainly the players have already seen that with Matt Bayless in the weight room. High-level athletes want to be challenged. I mean, that's why they're high-level athletes. They have that type of motivation. And the word being uncomfortable, that's interesting because, you know, that's you know Joe Madden. That's, what, that's mm-hmm. what he wants the Chicago Cubs to be, to stay hungry. And you understand that. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, I think it, it, it was important. You did have to change um, the messenger. Is Mike Denbrock a good coach? Yeah, I think Mike Denbrock's a yeah. very good coach. But players... It, it does get it has a tendency to get stale for players again I went through that as a coach you reach a point where okay we've heard this before right and you can't get that back once they've you know once once you've said something over you try to repackage it and say different things 
but but you can't get that back. And sometimes the messenger has to be changed. Well, and granted, the players at the college level only last four, uh, five years max. But at the same time now, Brian Kelly is at a place here. You have to go back to Lou Holtz who, for, for anyone who's lasted as long as Brian Kelly has. So do you think it's natural that, that that's going to happen at some point that you have to start changing the message as well oh yeah no question because i mean you're seeing these recruits they're being they're on campus as a junior so they're starting to hear that then by the time they're a senior at notre dame heck if they're a fifth year senior that's seven years you've sort of been hearing the same stuff and that's why i mean you see brian kelly over the years he'll be grasping at different messages different themes whether that's you know, burn the boats or culture beats scheme or just like you're, you know, Charlie Weiss did this too. It's like you have to find a way to package and communicate something that the players can grab hold of and buy into. And I think he's done a good job of packaging something that the, the players could grab hold of. But I think there was a staleness there that the players chose not to. I was just looking. To, I'm sorry. You, I, I was looking on the computer. Back to you, Sean. Well, we're not going to have a long women's basketball discussion. I was looking to see if the how the field is going in the selections. Notre Dame has not come up on the bracket yet, so I was just checking that while you guys were finishing that discussion. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll get there. <laughs> you, you think, you yes, think they'll I make do. it? I'm very confident in that. I think you're right as well. Let's hear one more comment from Mike McGlinchey before we go on um, about uh, some of his thoughts on Mr. Bayless. Definitely excited. Um, we had never been pushed. Guys want to be pushed. And I think um, that that's what Coach Bayless has really provided for our team is the is the capacity to push and, and, and show the desire to to improve each and every day because there's, you can't you can't stay the same. You either get better or you get worse. And um, Coach Bayless takes that to heart and he pushes everybody beyond limits that you ever thought you could. You know, I'm kind of like you, Pete, though, the, the skepticism side of it because every spring and then every fall, when, when spring practice begins and then when fall practice begins, all these guys, their bodies are a little bit different and everyone's got, you know, nice nice bigger muscles and and all that kind of stuff. How much actual tangible improvement are we going to see in the product, though? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fair question, but in some ways I think McGlinchey's quote there sort of applies to this too, where either you're going to get better or you're going to get worse, and if you stay the same, you're getting worse. So I think that's where Notre Dame had to change, where Notre Dame had to evolve. You know, and I think that the, the challenge aspect, the making guys uncomfortable, the pushing guys... You know, Quentin Nelson would be an example of a guy that I don't think really needed to be pushed a whole lot because he's doing it himself. Uh, Mike McGlinchey's probably in that same boat, too. But that does definitely does not apply to everybody on this roster, younger players in particular, that really need to be driven and sort of led um, by a new strength and conditioning staff. And then I, I do think sort of we're going to get into this, the last segment of the show about leadership allowing those captains to sort of take the lead too and push them and empower them there too. So I, you know, the, the making them uncomfortable and pushing guys, it's, we'll see, but it kind of goes back to either Brian Kelly was going to evolve or he was not going to make it. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't mean because he evolved, he will make it, 
But if he didn't, if he stayed the same, then I think we knew what was going to happen. This and that's fall. why I think. I mean, he, you've got to give him a lot of credit. He, he no made question. some. He made some bold changes. He, uh, again, not only did he bring in good coaches, but those coaches affected the way your recruiting campaign ended, and then uh, then it quickly affected your next recruiting campaign. So, you know, getting back to what McGlinchey said, and I and I alluded to that before we played that clip. I think there are two types of guys: guys that want to be pushed, and guys that need to be pushed. He wants to be pushed, and he's in a position. He's really a good leader. I think we all agree that Mike McGlinchey is a is a worthy two time captain in Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. He's one of the guys that will do the pushing, and then, you know, if that if that isn't enough, Matt, Matt Bayless will certainly provide the rest. <laughs> well, and when you look at the fact that here's a guy in Mike McGlinchey who could have been a first round draft pick had he decided to this year. He said he wanted to come back because he had areas that he wanted to improve in, but he could have been a first-round draft pick, and he came back, and he thought that specifically, not just in the strength department, but in a lot of ways that the guys here could make him even a better draft stock next year. To me, that that tells me a lot about Mike McGlinchey, because it it tells me he has a lot of self-awareness. He knew he needed to be better. He knew he wasn't good enough last year. Could he have been a first-round pick? Yeah, he might not have been but for him, it didn't matter. He didn't. He didn't even really care whether he he got official confirmation from the NFL or not. He knew in his heart that he needed to get better, and I think that speaks very highly of him. Yeah, I mean, two things on McGlinchey. He when we talked to him and I asked him about that, he said, "Look, I could have gone out. I could have been a first round pick on paper." Were the words that he used, and he could have been making a lot of money right now. But he wanted to thrive in the NFL, not just survive. So I think that is some good self awareness, as, as Tim noted, but. Just in terms of the nuts and bolts of it, Brian Kelly said, and Mike McGlinchey backed this up, that his bench press went from 16 to 24 at 225. And if you look at where that would have been the NFL combine you know, earlier the last couple of weeks, 16 basically is dead last among offensive linemen. 24 is what Ronnie Stanley, I believe, put up. Maybe Stanley put up 25. Is it at Nick Martin or Zach Martin levels? No. But it's at a really functional, good strength for an offensive tackle with huge long arms who's six foot eight and three ten. So I think that he has come back. You've already seen him develop a little bit. I've talked to, you know, a source close to the program who said that they're seeing a development in his uh muscle definition in Mike McGlinchey's arms for the first time in four years. So <laughs> something's happening there that's good. Are the, are his teammates still calling him McFlinchy? No, for the, he was did you know that, Sean? Yes. Yes. Call he was self-aware that. about that, too, yeah. which I thought was great, because he's like, look, I don't have an explanation for you about why that happened, but that has got to stop, and I'm going to stop. <laughs> Again, self-awareness. I mean, a kid that's got enough confidence in himself to be able to to laugh at himself yeah. for, right. for his mistakes. And say that out loud in yeah. front of other people. That's there, There's a lot of self-confidence there. 744, we're going to take a, another time out. We're going to talk some more football coming up next. More from McGlinchey and Martini, and we'll be talking about leadership specifically when the Irish Illustrated Hour continues on Michiana Sports Leader, 96.1 FM, WSBT. This is the Irish Illustrated Hour on Michiana's Sports Leader, 96.1 FM, WSBT. Featuring the writers from irishillustrated.com, Tim Priester and Pete Sampson. Plus, WSBT Radio's Sean Styers. 
748 as the Irish Illustrated Hour continues. I'm Sean Styers, Tim Priester, Pete Sampson from Irish Illustrated as well. Tim was right. I, I guess I should have trusted him. Notre Dame did make the field. <laughs> <laughs> the women are in. They are a number one seed, actually, and they will play Robert Morris in the Lexington, Kentucky region. They were the last number one seed to be announced, and they have a potential second-round matchup against number nine seed Purdue. The Boilermakers face Green Bay in the first round. So uh, the Fighting Irish made it. You can all breathe easier now. <laughs> and a number one seed. And too. a number one seed. That's never happened before, has it? All right. We were uh, talking in the last segment about the changes in the weight room. And there have been some changes in leadership as well. And, and when we were kind of talking and putting the show together, we know all the big changes at the top with Brian Kelly. And we could almost do a whole show about that with all the, the changes that he has made himself. But Mike McGlinchey and Greer Martini, two of the six captains the Irish have, uh, the They'll be captains this season. There could be more by the season by the time the season starts as well. But both McGlinchey and Martini talked to the media last week, and they talked about player leadership when spring practice opened. And here's what Martini had to say about that. Yeah, I think that as a leadership, um, this offseason so far, those first eight weeks has given us a huge platform to lead because we have like been through these strenuous workouts and stuff, and it gives you the opportunity to pick someone up, get them going, tell them to touch the line because you know fatigue makes cowards of us all. And so in that situation, you know we can go in and you know say, hey guys, let's do this the right way. Um, so I think that's been huge for us as leadership is that throughout these next couple of weeks, you know we put in the time those eight weeks so the guys will respond. Martini doing his own little Vince Lombardi there. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Yeah, I think that the the point there that is the biggest takeaway for me is the fact that Brian Kelly has given these captains more of a runway uh, to get started in January and February. And it allows the younger players to know, okay, who do I look to when I don't know what is going on? Who do I, I know has the authority to order me around like a coach would? when the coaches aren't here. So I, I think that's really important. You know, the fact that there's six captains, okay. Um, you know, I, it was interesting talking to Drew Tranquil about this, and he said that, you know, when you're a younger player, you don't really know who to talk to. And if there are two captains and the guy doesn't happen to be at your position, you might not know anything about him or might feel intimidated to approach him. But I think overall this captaincy group, especially with Nelson and McGlinchey, those are – Arguably the two best players on the team. I think that's significant because Notre Dame's captains, when they've been good, they've been the best players. Um, and those Notre Dame teams have been good too. I think when Notre Dame's captains have just been the oldest guys, those teams ha have not been as good. So I think that having McGlinchey and Nelson, I you could probably start to push Niles Morgan into that group. I think he will be the best player on defense most likely. Um that's to me. That's significant. I think you have. I mean, you, as always, you ha, you have a, a cross section of personalities here. I don't know that. I mean, Martini. I think is more a guy that the players are going to look at and respect the way he prepares, respect the way he plays. Not so much, you know, rah rah and being outspoken. That's more. I mean, I think that's McGlinchey. That's Nelson. That's certainly Niles Morgan. Drew Drew Tranquil is a natural leader in in a lot of different ways both in terms of work ethic and 
um, you know, just being real energetic with with the teammates. The choice of Austin Webster, the, the walk on. Uh, I mean, apparently within the within the team, it's pretty well understood that this is a pretty special walk on and a kid that's a leader in his own right. Uh, I, I think you know, I having done this for a long time, I, I think there were probably you could go back to some uh, long long ago Notre Dame captains and might take offense to a walk on who really hasn't ever played. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, being named a captain, but I understand what Brian Kelly's doing there, and this sounds like I, I, I don't really know him. I, have we even I mean, had an opportunity to yeah, speak I to him? I interviewed him in December after he was named a captain. I, I said, so are you a, a captain or a captain of the walk-ons? And he's like, <laughs> you know, we'll see how it shakes out, but I think this the same message applies there. There are a lot of walk-ons on the team, right. and they're a walk-on is probably not going to go up to Quentin Nelson and say, hey, uh, Mr. Nelson, could you tell me what I'm supposed to be doing here with this lift? Whereas Austin Webster has sort of been it and lived it, and I think there's some credibility within that group. Now it's like, you know, is Equiminius St. Brown going to follow the lead of Austin Webster? I have no idea. I don't know what that dynamic is like, but there are, what, 15, 20 walk-ons on right. the team, and yeah, they also, need leadership too. Webster's not going to try to lead uh, Equinemia St. Brown, right? So that makes sense. Well, and one of the other things Kelly talked about last week, you've got a first-year starting quarterback, Brandon Wimbush, and quarterback, typically a leadership position on the team, and there's so many other things on his plate that you've got all these other guys who are captains. Don't you think that this is going to sort of Take a burden off Brandon Wimbush, one thing that he doesn't really need to worry about when you've got six other captains. Yeah, I mean, interesting, Deshaun Kaiser was voted a captain. He would have been the first quarterback captain under Brian Kelly in Notre Dame. You know, so that's, <laughs> it's it's interesting that that leadership position, we always assume that the quarterback has to be a leader. That yeah. has not been the case here. It's true. Um, and, but to getting back to the sort of the best players, you had Harrison Smith was a captain. Michael Floyd was briefly a captain. Zach Martin was a captain. Nick Martin was a captain. Jalen Smith was a captain. You're talking about first, second round type NFL draft picks there. Uh, and I think there's credibility that goes with that, that McGlinchey and Nelson are going to have. Niles Morgan might have if he has a great year. And so that's, to me, that's really significant. Speaking of Brandon Wimbush, there's no lack of ability there at that quarterback. No, not position. at all. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> You know how he's going to read defenses. If a cornerback's going to jump a route and, and return 180 yards in the first game, we don't have any idea how that's going to shake out. But in terms of just natural athleticism and arm strength and a nice, free, easy throwing motion, that's a pretty special athlete, a quarterback. Yeah, first thing I noticed at the open practice on Wednesday was like, wow, the ball gets out of his hand fast. <laughs> it get, man, it is getting to the receivers quickly. Well, Tim's got the baseball background, and to me, it was uh, I'm sitting out there watching him, it, it was like watching Wade Davis come out of the bullpen throwing 98-99 easily with, with no real effort, and it looked like the rest of the uh, Quarterbacks were out there throwing Trevor Hoffman changeups in comparison. I mean, it was night and day different. Yeah, that's like talking to Madee Williams. I did a story on Brandon Wimbush and sort of his off season. And you know, he, Williams said this is his trainer out in New Jersey. Like the fact that he was a baseball player first, like that that was his first sport, has really helped his throwing motion, where it's more of a whip like type of motion. Uh, that and makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it the ball really gets out of the, the mechanics are good. Um, I. I cannot wait to see this kid play in the fall. Um, it's, man, he's got all the ability in the world. 
All right, we're going to wrap things up here in just a minute when we continue the Irish Illustrated Hour on Michiana Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. This is the Irish Illustrated Hour on Michiana's Sports Leader 96.1 FM WSBT. Featuring the writers from irishillustrated.com, Tim Priester and Pete Sampson. Plus WSBT Radio's Sean Styers. A little bit less than a minute to wrap up our first Irish Illustrated Hour. Tim, you're going to be heading to Buffalo tomorrow. It's amazing how expectations change. You know, two years ago, we expected an early exit. Now, I think the mark of a successful program is Sweet 16. I think they'll get there. And then we'll see what they do against uh, Gonzaga and San Jose. All right. Yeah, I mean, with Notre Dame off on uh, spring break right now, folks, a little bit of recruiting on irishillustrated.com. We've got the... Uh, a feature coming up on Cole Mabry, Notre Dame's offensive line commit. Interesting SEC bloodlines there, uh, and he's sort of a an under the radar guy in this class. But I, I think people will find his backstory and family history pretty intriguing. All right, hey guys, great first show. Great Sean, to thanks. be Thank in you, here Sean. with you, and and uh, we'll be doing it more throughout the spring. Irish Illustrated Hour on WSBT. The home of Notre Dame football, the NFL, weekday sports beat, and JT in the morning, 960 AM, 961 FM, WSBT.